Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. The one thing that came up that we were speaking about a little bit earlier is about just kind of like sneers generally, which is somehow a topic, you know, sneers being modesty that we hadn't really talked about before. As now, Ifat is working on this, you know, from fashion line with Nitzan, and she talks about how she got, you know, these, uh, she convinced them to hire or to, you know, to bring in from women to model the clothing rather than just having regular models modeling the from clothing. And, and, you know, in this scene in the episode, you know, we have this person, just a regular person with kids and all of that, who's sort of, you know, is much more natural uh, modeling these clothing. Rabbi Barbara was saying before, like, eh, it wasn't the most sneeze outfit. It might've been a little low cut, you know, so, um, so I think it, you know, it raises questions, you know, particularly in the kind of cool, hip, modern Orthodox world in which they're living, and particularly which Nitsan is trying to, you know, create her mark in, um, related to like what does modesty mean? Um, usually, you know, modesty tsniu comes in primarily in conversations about clothing, which it obviously is is more than that. And I think this, you know, some of the questions here about like is modeling to where there's pictures of you in you know clothing that's intended to be attractive like is that modest is right even the you know designing the clothing all this stuff like sort of how does modesty fit in and particularly you know who is the mod who is um when we talk about modesty sort of whose responsibility right is it a responsibility of men or people attracted to women to to not be looking at immodestly dressed women? Is it a responsibility of women to not dress immodestly? Is it sort of a responsibility on the community to ensure that like everyone is dressed modestly? Um, so I think those are some of the topics that, um, that, you know, we were sort of thinking about with regard to this episode and sort of how modesty fits in to just the whole idea of even fashion and modeling and all of these things that you thought is sort of entering a world in. Um, sort of how that fits with the idea of being a tzniyut, a urtsanua uh, person, being a modest person. Um, so that was sort of what we were, some of the, or one of the main topics we were thinking about. Um, maybe Rabbi Shatz, if you have any thoughts um, of things that you wanted to add on that before we kind of dive in more? I mean, I, I yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, but I think that, one of the things that sneeut generally, right? So when Rabbi Barber said, I don't think the shirt was so sneeut, I was thinking to myself, well, what does that mean, right? It, the, I think that when we, when we define sneeut, we are often thinking about people dressing with their collarbones covered, their elbows covered, a skirt below their knee, maybe stockings, and if they're married, their head covered, right? Like for a woman, that's what Snea's clothing looks like. Now, for a man, Snea's clothing is just wearing clothes. So it seems to be a little bit unfair because as long as a man has clothes on, he's all of a sudden now modestly dressed for the most part. Now, there's a lot of halachot around men's dress, especially if they're going to be a shaliach sibor. Um, so if they're going to stand in front of a community and lead davening, there's specific dress for that. But other than that, like it's very much so kind of geared towards women. And I, I would venture to say that sneut is not just about covering those body parts. It's about 
being modestly dressed and being dressed in such a way that you are a good reflection of both your body, but also as cliche as it is, your soul, right? That you are showing a part of yourself on the outside that you would also want people to know about your insides. So when I wear clothes, right? I'm wearing pants right now. I don't feel as though I am any less Jewish or any less modest because I'm wearing pants currently. Um, none of you can see that I'm wearing pants. So maybe in a certain way, it doesn't matter. And now I've outed myself, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear a skirt in, in front of all of you because I thought that was any more modest. I, I think that, that it, that it comes down to how your clothes reflect who you are. And so for the woman, you know, on the beach of Tel Aviv wearing a shirt that, that maybe was lower than a modern Orthodox woman should be wearing, like as long as she wasn't bending over and as long as she wasn't doing anything that would show parts of her body that should be covered. Um, then like, sure, it was modest because everything that needed to be covered was covered. Now, even in just saying everything that needed to be covered was covered is, is a statement in and of itself in the 21st century because we, there are tons of campaigns, especially in California about dress and, and making sure that we don't tell women how to dress and that if God forbid they're raped, that that was because of the way they were dressed, um, or that men need to cover up and sorry, women need to cover up in a certain way, but men don't have to, especially, especially around like swimwear. Um, so all of this comes into a lot of play here. And one of the ways that we've talked about it as a class is in terms of shul, right? That I've never worn pants and shul. Um, in fact, on Shavuot, I thought, cause we were up all night, I thought to myself, like, could I get away with wearing nice pants. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I wore a dress for 12 hours. Um, and I think that that's like ingrained in our brain as being more, more sneeze. But as Riley Parnick mentioned earlier in his class, that pants are no longer considered men's clothing. So that needs to kind of go away, but it's still in many of our specifically traditional, uh, realms of of uh like shuls and and temples like spiritual practice spaces um that was a lot of things but i i guess what i'm trying to say and rye pernick quoted me in saying this earlier is that i don't think that snoot is just about does it go below your elbows does it go below your knees is it something that doesn't show off a lot of your clavicle Right. Like I think that it's more about how you are presenting yourself in the clothing that you are wearing um, or in the way that you are presenting outwardly as a good reflection of who who you want to be presenting as inwardly. And I stand by that. Um, I see Michael put a comment in the chat. Any thoughts or comments just about Sneed and the way you see it playing out? In this episode, or way I don't know ways that it's surprising or you know even challenging. You know, like one thing I'm thinking about is right. These this photo shoot is taking photo shoot is taking place at the beach in Tel Aviv, and so it's interesting. Like at the beach in Tel Aviv, of course, this is you know this is very sneeous relatively compared to other people at the beach in Tel Aviv. Whereas when it goes into a from publication that's being read in, you know, people in Jerusalem, suddenly that might seem less sneeze. There's sort of that cultural, um, like, 
you know, the locale. That's something that, you know, when you're at the beach, this is normal, but you wouldn't necessarily want, you know, when it's, uh, the picture is taken and sort of shared in another context, it doesn't feel appropriate. Um, yeah, Leonard and Rebecca. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm remembering, um, I don't know, it was probably 30 years ago or so, I was at some event and I was talking to the Robertson, the wife of the rabbi of one of the large um, Orthodox synagogues in town. And she was complaining. She did not cover her hair. And she was complaining about the young married women in her congregation who felt like they had to do that. And she thought that was ridiculous. So um, I just... Uh, but, you know, it seems like what is considered, uh, you know, a requirement these days is different now than it was, you know, in the, basically the same community that, you know, is different now than it was a generation or two ago. So she's saying the women don't cover their hair and she felt like they had to. No, the, exactly the opposite. The opposite. She did not cover her hair and she oh, couldn't right. understand why the young married women in her congregation thought that they needed to. Right. I mean, and we saw that a little bit in the episode last week in which, you know, Nazi is going on a million dates and there's this one woman who has her head on, her hair uncovered and then it turns out she's married and, you know, this woman's like, well, this is the agreement we made before our wedding. And, he, you know, he's like, well, now people think you're single, right? So there's sort of, um, you know, I do think there's sort of a cultural component <laughs> as well that, you know, if you're in a place where married women cover their hair, or even if some married women start covering their hair and then others follow suit, like now it changes the context where I think you're right that even in a modern Orthodox community, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was pretty common for women not to cover their hair in a way that's less so common today. And that's, you know, that's just to the, the hair piece. Um, a week and a half ago, something like that. Um, time is a weird thing after Shavuot, but I think it was a week and a half ago, week and a half ago. Um, I showed up to a meeting. I had just worked out with my trainer and I showed up to a meeting cause like, and I didn't have time to shower in between and I had a headband on and every single person who I saw both in the meeting and on my way to the meeting said, what are you from now? And it's like, there are, ju- there are certain things that are, that come across as as from or modest if I wear a skirt that goes below my knees that's like you know below most of my skirts go below my knees but like below my knees like in between my knee and my ankle right that's like kind of the more modern orthodox look that it's like mid-calf I guess is what you would call it all of a sudden every man that I see on the way to shul shabbat shalom now if I wear a regular dress and I see a bunch of men on my way to shul, they don't say Shabbat Shalom. So I know that there are certain looks that people, that people see as from or more tzniest than other looks. And at the same time, someone said this earlier, I, anybody, I won't continue to talk about myself. Uh, a person could wear a very tight fitting mid calf dress, skirt, dress, whatever, and that would be considered by halachic standards, sneeze, even though it's hugging every part of your body. Whereas if I wear pants, don't give me that. Yeah, that's true. I'm just, no, no, it's true. But I, it's for sure true. I understand what you're saying, but like to the, to the letter of the law, it is true. To the spirit of the law, it's not true. 
But to the letter of the law, it is because it's covering all the parts that you're supposed to cover. But if I wear pants that are loose fitting, all of a sudden that's not sneeze. So I, I do think that when we're talking about sneeze and just the, the, the things that people think of as modest, like hair covering to Leonard's point, that sometimes they're, they are also misconstrued as if you, if you don't have those things on, you are not this way. And if you do have those things on, you are this way. And, I, and that's where a lot of this becomes stereotypical as, as opposed to like, um, I don't know, Jewishly connected um, and, and more societally uh, accepted, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is just sort of, there's a cultural, I mean, and this comes to something Sue Ray was saying earlier about kind of like the when in Rome, like there's a you know, certain ways in which our dress is like an identity marker. And even if it's not about sn- like snoot per se, saying, oh, if you're wearing pants or you're wearing a head covering or, you know, even if it's an attractive head covering, it's more attractive than your hair or it's a tight fitting dress, which is more form fitting than loose pants would be there's there's sort of the identity piece that sort of marks you as oh they you're not covering your hair so you're not part of this community or you're you are covering your hair so you are right even if it makes you look better and then the question is is that really about sneut or is it more about just sort of like marking your identity in some way yeah leonard and rebecca you're muted yeah i don't know if i had um uh talked about this before, but um, my daughter went to a modern Orthodox high school out here. And I remember thinking, you know, will I, should I be wearing a skirt to everything, whether it's a meeting or, you know, concert or something, you know, going on at the school. So in the beginning, I I would wear skirts. But then I observed, it it is interesting when, when you talk about is, you know, it, it can really be a reflection of a lot of things, whether the woman's going to wear a skirt or pants. I noticed that a lot of the wives of the of the big machers, of the big shots, or the, the women who were, you know, um, in not not part of the staff, but the parents, they were the ones who would wear pants at these various meetings and events. It wasn't it, it wasn't going to shul. It wasn't a service. But they would wear pants. And so I then, you know, felt like, okay, I felt comfortable. I entered this uh, um, comfort zone where, okay, I could wear pants to these various meetings and things, too, because I saw that these women who, you know, I knew were uh, quite observant, they would wear pants in the in these uh, settings. And it was almost like, um, I don't know, a power or a comfort thing that, you had to feel comfortable enough in this uh, in this setting to go ahead and wear pants and know that you could and it was going to be okay. I, I just want to point out that I always wore pants as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, do, I do remember years before my uh, my my cousin whose whose uh, kids went to a um, a community uh, high school with um, you know. Jewish high school, you know, including, you know, sort of community, but including uh, 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 Orthodox and and Chabad also went there. I remember that she would wear pants and she would say that she was then part of this group, the mothers who wore pants and the ones who didn't. And it was 
kind of look down upon the ones who wore pants and, oh, your mother wears pants, you know. So it was like a dividing thing, but it was kind of a almost like a political statement or something like that. Anyway, yeah, I think if it's you know, the whole pants versus no pants is a, you know, is a real, uh, um, it means more than you might think. In, in yeah. Some and I think the, the whole, um, I'm just because I know this is going out far and wide, I'm not going to share who, but there is a rabbi in our community who's, um, whose wife is someone who wears pants during the week for her job. And then when she's at shul or at a function with her modern Orthodox rabbi husband, she wears a dress or a skirt um, because she knows that that's, you know, what in that community would be seen as respectful to the rest of the community. But she nor her husband have any problem with her wearing pants when that's the comfortable dress for her to be wearing for her job. And I think that you speak to a really important point, Rebecca, which is that not only is this something that we do as part of our tradition or as part as, as part of keeping our bodies as these holy vessels, but also as a way um, negatively at times of putting us in these, in these, groups right in these categories of who belongs where and that's when I think the idea of sneut just goes out the window I would rather everybody wear whatever they want and be treated as great humans than um and this is what Ray Pernick quoted me saying earlier than have people wearing quote the right dress and and not be treated well or not treat others well, because then what's the point in wearing sneeze clothing if you're not going to be a good person and you're going to judge others based on what they're wearing? I think I like one thing I'm also thinking about, you know, because there's a lot of thought and conversation about like sneed as it relates not just to clothing, but like sort of to social media and sort of what you put out there about yourself. And I'm even thinking about like, this woman with her two kids and, you know, that's part of the photo shoot is like, this is a, you know, clothing for, for parents and mothers and, um, you know, whatnot. And yet like, right. Seeing that I think makes Ifat feel jealous about seeing this sort of beautiful family. And, she, and it makes her like, Oh, I wish my life was like, looked like that. And I had these beautiful kids running to me and, you know, like, so I think there's an interesting component of Tzniut there, which, of course, Yifat's the one who like said we should have real from women rather than just models who are faking it. But then there's also, like, not that it's not Tzniut that this woman is, like, there with her two kids. That's part of the photo shoot. But, um, but like, thinking more broadly about the impact of, like, you know, when we talk about what we wear and it makes people think or feel, I think the same thing, you know, then often we can think about what pictures we put out of, about ourselves and how, you know, you're putting out a picture of everything being beautiful and perfect, right. Which most people do on social media. And then like people who are feeling down, it's sort of like, Oh, I, you know, I'm not, you know, my life is terrible compared to them because look how perfect everything is, you know? So that's, I think there's an element of tenure there as well. Padre. I see your, uh, their hand up. Yeah, I was just moving around. So going back a minute or two, I was thinking not specifically with Sneut, but I was introduced to this maybe 20 years ago. We had a district attorney in our county who was Orthodox, um, and he didn't wear a kippah. And subsequently, I learned about the halachic ruling that if 
wearing a kippah might be considered to be problematic in terms of your career, then it's halakhically acceptable for you not to wear the kippah while you're at your job. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we're able to bend the tradition or bend the halakha in a sense like that, then once again, I have to agree with Rabbi Schatz that, you know, some of these barriers that we place are really kind of artificial. But also keep in mind that a kippah is not halachic. It's just a, min, it's a minhag, right? It, it's a minhag, but it's a, it's a very strong minhag. I mean, try to go to try to go to an Orthodox shul without observing that minhag. Right, right. I mean, I think it's a minhag, but more as the identity marker, right? As opposed to like covering your knees and your elbows, where there's the halachic conversation, um, right? He says they bend. They often bend in a way that works for men. Yeah, true. Uh, but I, I, mean, I think that one, you know, the head covering is sort of a way of marking your identity. But there's no, you know, concern of erva or nakedness if your head is uh, for a man if his head is uncovered. For a woman, you know, but for a woman, there but is. For a woman, right? if her head is uncovered, it is erva. Yeah. Yeah. True. And, and I think that is, that there is some sign there, right? Just like the story that I told about as soon as I put a headband on my face, everyone was like, oh, you're from all of a sudden. Um, right. That there, there are signs that if you, if you're wearing a kippah, it's similar to if you're wearing a long, you know, three quarter length shirt and, calf length skirt. I mean, that tells you something about a person without even meeting them. You know who they are. I mean, unfortunately in Los Angeles, you know, last night there was this terrible attack at uh, people sitting at a sushi restaurant. And it wasn't because they were sitting there waving Israeli flags. It was because they looked Jewish. So there are, there are ways in which you, you show your outward, your outward Judaism and so I agree with your dad, not surprisingly. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, there's just sort of the broader questions about like, what is, like, what is modesty, right? If, if modeling clothes that are, right, the whole idea of modeling is that you're wearing clothing that's intended to make people look at, look at the pictures and say, oh, that's what I want. Like that, you know, whether it's because there's the kids and the pretty in the beach and that, right. Like that's the whole idea of modeling is that, is that you're seducing as it were, not like necessarily men, you know, usually you're, it's women who are going to be buying it, but there's a whole idea of trying, right. Getting these pictures that look glamorous. So like, I think there, again, I tried to look up earlier and see if I could find anything about just like modeling and what, you know, whether there's conversations about whether that's Sanua, which I didn't find, but I think it is interesting to think about like, Right. If the whole idea is to sort of make yourself like put a image of yourself out there that makes people want to emulate you in your dress. I think there's like questions about whether that's Sanyua or not. I don't know. Perhaps or perhaps not. Well, I think that it also just it leads to how we represent ourselves outwardly in general. Right. That. If you, if a person is to dress a certain way or tattoos often go into this category, right? If people are to have piercings or tattoos or they're often, see, I mean, there've been so many studies done that if someone has tattoos on their face, are you going to stereotype them as a criminal as opposed to another person who doesn't have tattoos on their face? And 
the human psyche goes straight to yes. And, and that's unfair, but it's based again on outward appearance because we associate a type of clothing, a type of appearance, a type of outward look um, to certain kinds of people. And the same is true in Judaism. I mean, think about if you're in Jerusalem, you can go from one part of Jerusalem to the other part of Jerusalem and know exactly where you are, even if you have no sense of direction based on how the clothing changes. I mean, you walk into Measharim and you're no longer on Ben Yehuda. So, you know, and, and that's not because you know anything about deeply about Judaism, but the, but the dress changes. And so you have a, you have an awareness of who the people are that are around you. And that's, that to me, yes, it stems from modesty, but I don't know that that's what it is today. Now it's how we define people. So we should all go around with clown noses on. With clown noses. Yeah. Yeah, That way. You first. (laughs) Norm. I, you know, I knew a woman who did not like having a shaitel, didn't know one, but she used to cover her hair with a tickle all the time. Um, her hair was very short underneath it. And, uh, but she got a job in a bank and they told her, you can't be wearing this scarf all the time. We don't want it. So she went out and bought herself a, um, a shaitel and she wore that when she was going to work all the time. And she felt like it was a significant compromise because she had to at work. Um, but I also think that um, there's no question, you know, you look at somebody and you have a sense of they're dressed like this or they're dressed like that. And um, I, I told my children 30 years ago um, that when they come to Glendale, they shouldn't wear a yarmulke. And um, which is the town where I work. And uh uh, it's it's really funny because there was one day I was driving Stevie someplace to pick up a car um, and we crossed the city line to Glendale and the yarmulke was gone. And I was just amazed because I had thought of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, a number of years ago, I was teaching freshman medical students and the high holidays were coming. And uh, one of my colleagues after the, after Yom Kippur, a non-Jewish colleague, asked me about a certain student, and a, a Jewish student, and I said, "Well, what's the uh, what's the question?" Well, she she was out during the holidays. She stay, left, stayed out of school. I said, "Yeah." Well, did you know she had tattoos? And I said, uh, I, "I don't remember if I noticed or not." Well, he was a, a Catholic fellow, but he thought because she had tattoos and she couldn't have been very right. observant, and therefore. Staying out of school is kind of fraudulent, you know. I started looking it up about tattoos, and I found out that, well, again, there there was no nothing hard and fast anymore about tattoos. And about a month later, in the uh, local Jewish, uh, the Southern Jewish Life uh, magazine we get down here, there was an article about the son of our cantorial soloist at our Reform synagogue, who was uh, covered with tattoos. I just thought it was a funny juxtaposition, but but basically the my colleague, you know, just assumed that the, the girl with tattoos couldn't be really religious and she shouldn't have skipped school that day, you know. And that was just kind of a, kind of a interesting thing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it becomes such a stereotypical way of understanding people and assuming that if someone's in a black hat with a long beard and tzitzit, that they must be extremely righteous. Well, it's not always true. Well, they and, must be Jewish and not a missionary Christian, you know pretending to be a Jew. 
Trip. Yes. Yeah. Norm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm amazed about the Kippur aspect because I would think almost everybody who has any awareness of Jews knows that that's a holiday that's widely observed by people who don't right. observe very much of halacha. Right. <laughs> I think there's things that, I mean, it's been interesting to see the things that people assume, you know, like there was a funeral here a couple of weeks ago and someone who had, you know, donated his organs and a number of kinds of mine at this funeral who went with non-Jewish coworkers were like, I thought Jews don't do that. You yeah. know, um, that comes back to the Jew and I were talking about this, you know, set, series we're going to do in the fall about um, organ donation, but like, even though this, it was not an Orthodox guy, um, but there is still sort of this sense of like, wait, I thought he was Jewish. Like, don't Jews not do that? And it's like, no. So like, it's interesting to think what, what people think are like, oh, that's what Jews do or Jews don't do. Mm-hmm. My uh, wife's maternal grandfather, um, after he came to America, uh, ended up eventually in the wholesale toy business in the late 40s and, and in the 50s. Um, and... Um, he once had a potential customer come to him and try and make an appointment for Yom Kippur, which was one of very few days that he took off um, for religious reasons. And he explained to this person that he couldn't make the appointment that day, but he could make it on some other day. And little did he know this guy was considering him and another wholesaler, also Jewish, who said, yes, I'll meet you that day. And he ended up coming to my grandfather-in-law because he said, I can't trust a Jew who, he was not Jewish. I can't trust a Jew who works on Yom Kippur. Hmm. And he became a significant customer for many years is, is how I'm told it. Hmm. Um, just for sake of time, was is there any other topic that jumped out at you from this episode that you either wanted to bring up or you wanted to hear more about, or you had a question about, um, we could stay on snoot for forever, but if you wanted to ask something else, uh, because, it's, you know. because it's already seven. Yes. Rye Pernick is very excited to talk about Shabbos lamb. So if anybody else is very excited about that, um, I will say, and you can all After talk being told how there was no halachic topics in this episode. I, was like, I didn't say there were no halachic topics. I just <laughs> said there's not anything fun to talk about. Is what I said. And Shabbos lamb goes into the category of not so fun. Okay. Denise. Um, I thought Roe and, you know, telling, telling Ruud this isn't working, um, it just made me wonder, like, is he going to be more accepting of his own sexuality? Did the event at the, when they were at the Springs and he was checking out that guy, like, did that just make him feel like, okay, I'm, you know, I, and I also kept wondering, like, are those two guys gay? Is something going to happen? Is it, you know, like, I just didn't know where it was going to go. I have a feeling Roy was having those same kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just made me think, like, I wonder if he's giving himself more permission. Mm. Yeah, I mean, without giving anything away, I'll just say it's an interesting part of the storyline. And it'll be interesting to see what comes next. Um, I think that when you see Rayut get so upset, my first instinct was to say to her, like, you did this to yourself, lady friend. Um, you knew that this was a possibility. You also knew that he was never going to 100% be into you, as we colloquially say. And 
to, to decide that you were going to still continue with this relationship, you know, it was a risk that she was willing to take for sure, but she has to take a little bit of responsibility in knowing that in taking that risk, she also knew that there was a chance that he was going to say, my, the, the feelings that I have for men are taking, are taking over and it's not fair to you for me to be with you. Um, and, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad that it's over because I think that as you continue to see this relationship, she was really trying to force something that she thought she can make perfect uh, and like quote fix into making perfect. Um, Why'd you say episode 14? I think I was responding to Michael. Oh, okay. Um, And uh, so I think that that's, that's something that, yeah, you're, you're right that he might be trying to figure himself out, but also it's about time that they both be realistic and kind of accepting of the fact that this was never going to work to begin with. Yeah. So can I, so I, you know, I haven't been with you guys for a few weeks and I think I'm still a week behind because and we've missed you a lot. Well, I've missed you, but I've been just you know, we've, we've got a lot of, we got babies, we got weddings. We, we put our roof on our house. Today different, different, like ba- just, different households of the weddings. Different and the households. Correct. Yeah. Let's yeah. clarify that. Exactly. <laughs> it's been really coming busy. before the wedding. But the wedding, which is why that was important to clarify. <laughs> correct. Correct. The weddings. Yeah. But, yeah. um, so I think I'm an episode behind because you, <laughs> you, you were talking about things. I told Josh last night, I don't know what you're going to talk about other than maybe saying Kaddish for a, can you say Kaddish for a pet? Right. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, so, so, you... we're, so we're clearly behind. And so, you know, it's okay that you've revealed that it's all right. But, yeah. but what I was going to say is that I think in any romantic relationship, as well as in any employment relationship, there's always an element of risk. You know, I mean, I'm at this point, I'm married to Josh's mom for 37 and a half years. And I still don't understand her. Okay. (laughs) No, I mean, I do. do. But I mean, it's like, there's, there's always, you know, you never get to the point. And I think this is true in work as well, that you think, oh, this is going to be a good job or this is going to be a good fit. And, but there's always a certain leap of faith that you take. You know, you think the odds are pretty good. But there's learning that needs to take place. But I would agree that the the people that we're seeing in terms of their understanding of homosexuality, they yeah. just seem so naive and so, I mean, I know the series is maybe 12, 13 years old, but I'm still just, I, I don't know if that's more the Israeli angle or if it's how much society has progressed in a decade or more, but it's just... Uh, you know, it, it just seems very, very old fashioned. I, and I also think that that it seems old fashioned, but I think that still in not just the modern Orthodox world, but in some communities, you try, especially when your brother and your father and your community are trying to get you to feel like, oh, this is just a phase, you'll be totally fine. You psych yourself into imagining, well, okay, maybe they're right. Maybe I also can be as attracted to women as I am to men, or, you know, if you're a woman, as attracted to men as I am to women. But ultimately, I think, as Denise pointed out, like in that moment of seeing these other men, 
just made him realize that it's just never going to be the same. He might really love Rayut as a person and as a friend, but he's never going to be as attracted to her, you know, whether that's just sexually or physically, whatever it is, as he was to the men who he was seeing when they were on this teal. So I, well, I think, Dennis, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty, it was pretty clear that he had lost interest before the teal. A hundred percent. But I yeah, think yeah. that's what like solidified it. And, we as the audience saw in the moment. Mm-hmm. I would just want to add though one last thing. And again, I haven't seen the episode, but I think I always tell people that in terms of a successful marriage or even relationship, it's not necessarily the passionate part that's going to make or break the relationship. Um, it's, you know, I say it's more important to like the person than to love the person. Because that passion that, you know, you sometimes feel at the beginning of a relationship, yeah. I, I think you'd die if you had that 12 months a year, you know, for 20 years or whatever. It just, it's too much. No, really. I mean, it's just, you need, you need things to just kind of like calm that. down so you're I in was, a good, yeah. I was making that face to your son, not to you. Yeah, oh, okay. I, okay, I, <laughs> yeah, I. The things yeah. that make a marriage work are not that passion that drives you crazy that's not you know it's 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 good i've never been married but what i hear from my own parents as well is they're best friends and that doesn't always mean that everything is romantic but at the end of the day they want to spend time together because they really like being around each other and they're each other's best friend and i think that that's partially what rayut was seen in this which was oh, this is a person who I really love as a friend. And I think it was Lisa who just said, though, now I'm not remembering. Yeah, that, you know, maybe I'll just change him to fall in love with me or maybe I'll make him a little bit more like the way that I need him to be so that he will be a good partner to me because this friendship is so great that it must turn into something um, that will be romantic and, and partnership in the future. Yeah. Other thoughts, by the way, I will just say that I knew that you were on the wrong episode because when I mentioned to the other Rabbi Parnik that I didn't know what we were going to talk about today, he said that you suggested yard site for a pet. I mean, cottage for a pet, or I guess maybe also a yard site for a pet. And I said that was last week's episode. And he said, okay, yeah, maybe. And I, I knew it. Um, all right. Other Thoughts, questions. Just to add on to the Roe-Rayuge relationship, when she bought the present for the wedding, for them, it was sort of identifying them as a couple. Yeah, totally. You could see him recoil, you know, like, we're not a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'm inviting you to the wedding. In fact, I don't think I was going to. Yeah. You know, but it was this topic that was in the air. Of course, you would take your girlfriend to the wedding. Right. Yeah. Again, I think that she was trying to make something happen that wasn't going to happen in his mind. Um, and and that was kind of the the push that that made him realize, oh, this is She's thinking this is going in one direction and it's going in another for me. And so I need to put an end to it. Um, this is your opening, Rabbi Parnik, to talk about Shabbos lambs if you want to. So do you want to? 
Shabbos slaps. That's all you're going to say? Yeah, they're good gifts. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, one of my uh, one of my rabbis, Yeshiva, is uh, the inventor of the shabul, which is a light bulb that functions like a Shabbos lamp. Uh, so you don't need a, sh- a separate lamp; you can just plug in this light bulb. They saw them at Kosher Cajun, which was very exciting for me when I moved down. There's also a very cool Shabbos lamp that you can just turn the contraption on the top. I think it's called a coat. I don't know what it's called. And you like the lamp is always on. The things that we define as cool and exciting in this podcast, man. Um, bulbs are pretty cool, I gotta say. Great. <laughs> and you turn, you turn the like tent contraption thing so that you can see the light or you don't see the light. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's a Shabbos lamp. Yeah, I know, but I'm just describing that that you can also have the turny kind. That's They're not awful. always turny. I think like, they are. Okay. Well, this is why we didn't talk about this as a whole topic because now it's over. That was it. Shopping lamps. There you go. Um, anything? Any other really fun topics that anyone wants to discuss? Well, there was actually there was a there was a funny when I was looking watching this episode with this like very close eye to see if anything out. There was an interesting thing when uh, when uh, they're at the lake and. Oh, when uh, Ruud has her feet in the water and she's talking about how cold it is. And and uh, what's his name? Roe says something about like, like the Torah is acquired through, through Isurim, through uh, hardships. It's like, oh, that, you know, and then he she responds with like a Talmudic line. I thought that was funny, but there was really anything, anything more to uh, say there. So that was better. Nati was very human this week. That is true. He's and he started. saw patients. This is the first time that we actually saw him with a patient. <laughs> is that like true? Doctoring. I don't think that's true. But oh, you're, but you're a lovely guy. But, no, no, but it, it's but the first it, time we saw him actually doctoring, like actually like with a stethoscope treated. Like no. Anyway, he says no. When, when Michael went else. Well, the first time, hi, uh, the first time he met the clown. Right. And there have been at least a couple of others. He had the friend. But his hands, his hands weren't on a patient. He was like in the room with a patient. But that was the first time when his hands were actually I mean, on. It's him. such a minor point. We're not going <laughs> to. But I believe. His hands were not on, on a patient. Leave it at that. I had a congregant who I had a congregant who was watching Sugim, but who doesn't come to this class, and and he texted me like when he was watching Sugim, he was like, "We made it to the second to last episode of season two, and for the first time, Nati actually is like has his hands on a patient." <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, so. But is he still eligible, Bachelor number four? Yeah, that's a good question. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, but it is interesting that he he really he. He dialed it all back this week. He really, he understood that to potentially get what he wanted from both the relationship and also um, his professional life, though I do think he has seen patients before, maybe not touched them, but seen them before, um, that uh, that he had to kind of take take a little take a little bit of him his own ego and his own self out of things uh and then what's her face Daphna is that her name she she said I have to think about it and he kind of for the first time realized okay this isn't just about me now I've put something out there she's gonna think about it and we'll see what happens so I think he's maturing very slowly but I think he's maturing 
and touching patients, which is great. Uh, yeah, she seemed like a good doctor. That other than the like telling them to say things, like yeah, she no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exciting. Anything else? Hoda Yas yeah, seems to be a very like- good teacher, which I just want to point out. It's lovely that she seems to like have a thing that she can do. She seems to be a lovely, a lovely teacher. Uh, Rebecca and Leonard. Oh. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. I, what do you want to say? No, go ahead, Rebecca and Leonard. Oh, no, please, Robert. I was just going to comment on next week is the last episode. That's all I was going to say. Not of the whole series. No, but of the, this. There's, there's no. one more episode for, the, for season two. Right. But uh, I just wanted to point out, because I think the, uh, I mean, it was impossible to capture in the, uh, in the uh, subtitles, but there was a, there was a funny uh, mm. play on words in the, uh, in the show over there where he was telling people, he was telling uh, whoever it was, Roe, to go to uh, Ein Sarig. And he says, Ein Sarig Basin. In other words, he wanted to know how it was spelled, whether it was with a sin or a sign. Uh, but sin also means China. Oh, I missed that one. Right. I'm, I'm, and so he said, no, it's not in China. It's in Siberia. <laughs> the yeah. English had made no sense at all. But if you understood any of the Hebrew, it was actually pretty funny. I, I missed that. I missed that one. <laughs> the, I missed that. Yeah. The, one the translation the... said, it, it's not in Siberia. It's in Israel. <laughs> and I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there you go. Okay. Anything else? Translation's not always 100% perfect. Well, certain things just don't translate, so, you know. So, mm-hmm. do the best you can. Okay, everyone. Um, so, next week is the last episode of this season, uh, and we'll see what happens. You don't have to wait a whole summer to watch the next season, but, um, and, uh, yeah, hope that you have a great week, a safe week in all of the places you live and uh, see you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.